sweet Jesus, you're the wind beneath my wings. Sweet Jesus, you're my melody and harmony. Sweet Jesus, you're the eyes that I see through. Sweet Jesus, yes, I'm dancing to your tune. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you that we can call you Father. And we thank you that you call us your children. We pray that may Christ alone be exalted in our midst and in our discussion. In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. We thank God so much for the gift of life, for the gift of salvation. And we thank God for this opportunity to share his word. For the past four weeks, we have been doing a study on Deuteronomy chapter 8 on why the wilderness. And if I should say all too soon, we're on our last episode for this series. Meaning, God willing, next week, we are beginning a new series. So we have been reading Deuteronomy chapter 8. So we go back to our verse. And last week, we ended on the verse number 3. And we will just take off from there. So I read just from the verse 3. And he humbled you and he suffered you to hunger and he fed with manna, which you knew not, neither did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord shall a man live. You know, there are two components to man, the seen component and the unseen component. Or we can say the visible component and the non-visible component, or the physical component and the spiritual component. So the physical component containing or making up of our body or our flesh, and our spiritual component or the unseen component making up of our soul and our spirit. So God is letting us know that these two components are important for our survival on this earth. And just as food nourishes and sustains and keeps alive this body, so also does his word sustain and keep alive our spirit and our soul and also our body. So in Proverbs, the Bible says that for his words are medicine to my flesh, literally. The word of God is medicine to your flesh, literally. And one thing that we should really appreciate is that most of us, we think we go to church to hear the word of God or we go for a meeting to hear the word of God. You don't go to hear the word of God. When God's word is coming, God is not telling you something. <laughs> what is God doing? When God's word is coming to you, when you are listening to God's word, or when you are reading God's word, God is not informing you. I wish you could. I wish I could get your response on what do you think is happening. When you are listening to God's word, and when you are reading God's word, God is giving you something. God is not just informing you about something. So when you go for service, and the word of the Lord unto you is that by his stripes you are healed. God is not informing you. God is literally delivering packages of healing to you. But many of us, we think we go to church or we go for gatherings to go and hear the word. That is why most often than not, we live just the same way we came. Because we don't go with the mindset that we are going to receive of his word. So in Isaiah, he says that for every word that proceeds out of my mouth shall not return to me void but it shall accomplish that which it was sent forth. So if the word of healing has been sent forth, it's not just to inform you, but it's to heal you. If the word of peace has been released out of the mouth of God, God is giving you peace. God is not informing you about peace. 
So when the word of prosperity is coming, God is giving you prosperity. So when God told the Israelites that I have given you the promised land, he was not informing, he was accomplishing the transfer of the land from the Canaanites to the Israelites. And it's very important that we appreciate it because God's raw materials for making anything is his word. So we know in Hebrews chapter 11 that nothing was not made outside of his word. So the raw materials for God to do anything is his word. So when you entered into a situation and there was no light, what he did was not to go and dam a river and to connect cables and power it, but he said let there be light. When he created the sea and the ocean and there were no fishes or aquatic animals, God did not go into the lab and engineer something, but he spoke it into being. That's why you must understand when we say things like all that you need in this life literally is the word of God. So all that you should be doing is what is God saying about a particular situation you are going through. So that's where we landed off last week. And we are continuing. So let's go to the verse 4. Your remnant works not old on you. Neither did your foot swell these 40 years. I want to quickly go to the verse 7. Then I'll go back to the verse 4 and the verse 5. One thing that we should appreciate and that's I want to touch on the verse 7 before I go to the verse 4 and the verse 5. Now one thing that I want to really emphasize is that the wilderness is a season meaning that it is something that is not permanent. So I would say I don't know if I'm correct but I'll say the wilderness is a season not a climate <laughs> because you know that climate is more permanent or is the weather or a particular place over a long period of time so mostly for 10 years or something like that and we find as a climate. But the wilderness is a season of your life meaning you're not supposed to be there forever. That is why the manna God gave them. They didn't live on the manna when they entered the promised land. The Bible literally said that the day they entered the promised land and they planted their first seed, that very moment the manna stopped flowing. So the treatment that God was taking them through in the wilderness was not a permanent treat. It was a temporary situation. So you may not first must appreciate the wilderness season of our life is not permanent. And as I said, you subjecting yourself to the lessons in that university of the wilderness will determine how fast you graduate from that season. That is why in the verse 7 he says that for the Lord your God brings you into a good land. So the wilderness is not a good land. The wilderness is not the destination. The wilderness is not God's final product, but the wilderness is a route to the good land. that God is bringing you. So he said for the Lord brings you into a good land. Now the next thing, so this is our final thing. This is our final episode. We, should, we are going to note so many things. So just a brief recap. The first thing I want you to note in our final episode is that when God is speaking to you, he's not just informing you, but he's giving you something. The second thing I want you to note that the wilderness is a route to the promised land and the wilderness is a season not a climate not something permanent now from the verse number 7 the next thing i want you to note is that for the lord your god brings you into a good land meaning that god is the one who is orchestrating the events of our lives so it's for the lord your god brings you that is why i said in the very first episode that your ability to see the works of god your ability to descend the move of god is very critical because many of us are not realizing that our daily activities 
are being ordered by the Lord. So many of us are rather frustrating the plans of God for our lives instead of facilitating it because we are not aware that the open doors and the closed doors, that the people you meet, that the circumstances you face as a child of God, as a child who submits to the dealings of the Holy Spirit, is God's way of bringing you into a good land. So I remember when we did, I think who told you, the very last episode, we emphasized the fact that in all your ways, if you acknowledge God, He will direct your path. So the verse 7 is letting us know that for God is bringing you into a good land. I came to remind somebody who may have forgotten that the situation that you're going through is God bringing you into a good land. The job that may not be the ideal job for you is God bringing you to a good land. The situation you are in, your financial situation, that is not the best. I want you to know that God is bringing you into a good land. And just as I said, I'm not just informing you about something, but God through the agency of his word is literally bringing you into a good land. Now let's go back to the verse number four. Now God is telling the Israelites, he's reminding them of something and it's very important. He said, your raiment works not old on you, neither did your foot swell these 40 years. Wow. See what God is doing for them in the wilderness. For 40 good years. <laughs> I wish you could have a movie so you can really appreciate what God is saying. It's saying that the clothes they wore neither did not grow old. For 40 years. I don't think I have a shirt that is still a top shirt or a shirt that I like so much after three years. You know, mostly when you get a very nice shirt, oh, you pamper the shirt and all those things. You take it out for this special location. But after three or four special locations, the shirt begins to lose its swag. But imagine wearing the same clothes or the same set of clothes for 40 years and the clothes still maintain its integrity as they want. God was telling them that, you see, it's interesting that the Israelites didn't even notice this. That's why they were complaining. You will let me know, go out of myself. You will talk about this thing the more. You see that for 40 years, you are wearing the same set of clothes and they neither grew old or you. Neither did they lose their swag. And even their shoes were growing with them. It's even interesting because sometimes you know, let's say you're in school, you know people who are getting, let's say, money from their parents and the amount they are getting is far more than your amount. Yet still, the money they get is not enough for them. But the little you have, God is able to use that little money to sustain you. But many of us don't appreciate these things. Many of us don't see when our shoe size is increasing with our legs. Many of us don't see when our clothes is still maintaining its integrity after a long period. That's we are always spoiling things. That's the verse 4. The verse 5, we have touched on it already that the reason why God will consider dealing with you and the reason why God will consider chastening you is because he sees you as a child. So if you look at your life and you can't really pinpoint any disciplined act of God in your life, it means something. One of the most deadliest states to be is when God is silent over your life. And not just God, even when people in authority are silent over your life. If you get to a state where you're in quotes, you say that your parents don't talk your matter again, you're in a deadly state. If you are in a state where that person in your life who used to always correct you, who used to always encourage you, who used to always speak to you, now all of a sudden the person is quiet over your life, know that you are doing something wrong. So whenever people are correcting you, whenever people are 
are directing you, whenever people are guiding you, is because they esteem you in a particular way. That is why they are taking the pain, if I should say, in correcting you. But when people are quiet about your life, when you know, all this is okay, I yeah all right and they're just quiet they're just watching you know that there's something that is going wrong maybe they have noticed that you are refusing their chastening maybe your parents have realized that you think you have overgrown them so now they don't even say anything much about you again notice these things and notice when god is silent over your life for a long time when you are misbehaving and god is just quiet notice these things now let's continue that is the verse number six so the verse seven that's the part is it for the lord your god brings you into a good land now look at what the land is of oh, a land of brooks of water of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates a land of olive oil and honey a land wherein you shall eat bread without scarceness you shall not lack anything in it a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you dig brass. So that's just from the verse 7 to the verse 9. So you may not appreciate the details of what God is telling you, but to summarize everything, you are in an excellent land. <laughs> and this will go to the matter know the thoughts I nation I have towards you and God was telling them of wheat and barley of vines and fig trees of pomegranates a land of olive oil and honey a land where you eat without ever going hungry a land where you lack nothing good this is the promised land that God has for you you see many of us what happens is that because we don't appreciate that God has thoughts to bring us to an expected end. Many of us are trying to take ourselves to our own promised land. What is the essence of being dishonest? What is the essence of cheating your clients? What is the essence of doing what you know you are not supposed to do to get something? What is the essence of taking somebody's powers? What is the essence of all these things and you see it's sad that many Christians are doing these things within quotes justifiable reasons because even though they know mentally that God has good thoughts for their life they have not come to appreciate it in practical living that indeed the wilderness that they are it's God's preparation for them to qualify so that they can get access into a good land the verse 10 it says that when you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. When you have eaten, when you are enjoying the generosity of the Father, remember to give him praise. Now, I would want to say the next verse before I give a commentary on that verse. Now, this is very important. Because of the verse 11, he says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God in not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you this day. Verse 12. Least when you have eaten and are full, and have built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied. Verse 14. Then your hearts be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Verse 15. Who led you to that great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fairy serpents and scorpions, and drought, where there was no water? 
who brought forth water out of a rock of flint, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers knew not, and that he might humble you, and that he might prove you to do you good at the latter end. Verse 17. And you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has brought me this wealth. Wow. I believe we are also following so that we can really appreciate what we are studying. Now, let me, let me just put this in perspective of our study. We are learning some of the things that, some of the lessons why God takes us through the wilderness. And we have said that one of them is to know the state of your heart. The second one was then to teach you how to depend on Him totally for survival. The next lesson in the wilderness is so that He will humble you. The next lesson in the wilderness is so that He would prove you to know why you are really obeying him. So I said that grace is not a license to sin, but grace is a testing of the freedom God gives you from sin. So that when you sin, it is out of your own volition. It is you have used your will to subject yourself to sin. And the next lesson in the wilderness is so that you will know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And the final lesson in the wilderness is to teach you not to forget God. And this is so evident in our world today. And the best example we can give is Europe, the very continent that took the gospel to the ends of the world. You know, Christianity didn't really start in Europe. Christianity actually started in Africa. It was Egypt and I think Asia. So Christianity started between Egypt and Asia. So you know, Paul went to Asia Minor, then Turkey. The church of Ephesus is in Turkey. And it's interesting how one of the most vibrant churches, that is um, the church of Ephesians, which is in Turkey, is now a Muslim-dominated country. <laughs> so actually, Christianity started over there and it went to Europe. But it got to a time that Europe was the powerhouse of the gospel and most of the christianity we see today all started from europe it started from the basel missionaries from the from the methodist missionaries from the germans they sent missionaries all around the world but today look at europe why is because when they entered the promised land they said it is their intelligence that has brought them there not god they said that it was their willpower that has brought them there. And that's what he says in the verse 14, that then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt and the house of bondage. It's a typical example of Europe because the Europe then was not the Europe we see now. Europe was an impoverished continent. And what they do not even realize is that the bedrock of civilization, the bedrock of the massive development we are seeing in Europe is because of Christianity. So you can do a personal study. Look at all the great inventions that Europe brought from the 16th century to the 19th century. A greater number of them were Christians. Look at the school of Harvard. Harvard was a theological seminary, a school where they trained pastors, a school where they trained missionaries to go to Harvard. <laughs> so a school that was founded on the principles of teaching people 
to live for God, to work for God, and to give their lives to God. These very same schools are denying the existence of God because their hearts have been lifted up. Listen to the verse 17. And this is what Europe is saying right now. And you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hands has gotten me this wealth. You can give yourself personal assignment. Go and look up the major countries in Europe. Go and read about their history. Go and read about Swiss. Go and read about the United States. Go and read about Germany. Go and read about Great Britain. And you'll be amazed the contribution of Christianity to these countries. In fact, many of the institutions we see today were Christian institutions. Let me just give you some small history. Hospitals is actually a Christian idea. Hospitals and educations, two great pillars in the world today are purely Christian institutions. I may not be very sure on the details as in the years and the dates, but but hospitals actually started with, um, I think the outbreak of tuberculosis, I'm not really sure, but the outbreak of an airborne disease. And there was no cure for it at that time. So what they realized was that when anybody had contracted this disease, the person is sent to the outskirts of the town so that they can breathe in fresh air, etc., etc. So due to that, some of them recovered due to their immunity and due to the breathing of fresh air. Some of them recovered and were accepted back into the city, if I should say. But what happened was that whenever anybody contracted this disease and the person is sent to the outskirts, the person is mostly abandoned by their family. The family no longer visits the person. The family no longer gives food to the person. So it's as if when you get the disease, you are left to die. So it was the church at that time who took it upon themselves that they would train people who would be giving these people food and be attending to them. This is when nursing came about. Nursing is all about attending to people who are not well. And it was a church idea. The church was the one that brought the foundations of hospitals and educations today. But look at our education system. They are the very people who are teaching us that life is all about science. That we can dare have the audacity to say that the complexity of this world we are seeing is created by a big bang. Mercy. Verse 17. And you see in your heart my power and my might has gotten me this. You know, the promised land is so good that it can make you forget God. I never underestimate this. Well, as I shared, I think last week's episode or last week, I have seen this truth happening practically before me. I have seen people I used to pray with for hours. I have seen people I used to go around sharing the gospel with. I have seen people who used to do the work of God. Immediately they left the shores of Ghana, the shores of Africa, and they entered into Europe. <laughs> if there was something beyond interest, that's where they are. And I've seen people who when life became comfortable for them, they are beyond recognizable. And let me not even use Europe. I know people who were in the same secondary school. Immediately they got to university. And some of them were from privileged backgrounds. They entered the university. Their parents gave them cars. Some of them were doing courses like medicine. So by fifth year, sixth year, they were already seeing themselves doctors. The things that they do, you wonder, was this the same person in secondary school? Because life had become comfortable for them. You see, that's what the promised land is. It's so good. The promised land is so sweet that it can make you forget God. And that is why the whites or the Europeans, the Muslims in South Africa, they say it is poverty that is making us Christians. And the reason why we are always praying a lot is because we are poor. (laughs) 
And you can't fault them because they are a practical example of it. And we ourselves, we have seen people when they were in need of children, they were serving the Lord with all their heart. People when they were in need of a spouse, they were committed to the work of God. They were singers, they were ushers, they were going on missions. But immediately God took them to their promised land. Ah, it's so sad. And this is the final lesson that God wants us to hear, that never forget God. So in the verse 10, it says, When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. When you have eaten and you are full, remember to bless the Lord. When you have attained your degree and now you are doctor, doctor, now you get salary which is 10 times the school fees you ever paid. When you are full, when you have cast at your disposal, when you can have any lady at your disposal, when you have power, and you see, it's so practical. The most humble people you can see is a politician who has lost power. You will be amazed how humble these people can be. But this same person in power, <laughs> you know, you know, so let me not go any further. But the Bible, or God is telling us in the verse 10 that when you are full, bless the Lord. When your children are in the best schools, when you are driving the best cars, when you are getting the best promotion, when you have been named under 40, under 40, when you are the most influential people in Africa or in the world, when you are on the top or when you are cream de la cream, remember consciously bless the Lord. Because the promised land is so good that it can make you forget God. God deliver us from the sin of forgetfulness. The sin of forgetfulness is a sin that has brought many people down. Because immediately you have the sin of forgetfulness, you are opening the door to the sin of pride. Remember the people who taught you the word of God at some point in your life. Now you have become ministers and you have been given small, small review, you have been getting speed. You have forgotten that somebody taught you in Sunday school. Hmm. Mercy. I can talk about this the whole day, so let me just be disciplined. Now the verse 18, it says, but you shall remember the Lord your God. I pray for us all that we would always remember God. That in every season and any season we find ourselves, may we remember God. When we have eaten and we are full, may we remember God. When kings come to your rising and queens come to your brightness, may you remember God. When your name is mentioned on every newspaper for good things, may you remember God. When within one month your passport is full, may you remember your God. May you remember God when you are at the top. You know, it's very easy, relatively, it's very easy to be humble when you're in the wilderness. When you have nothing, you're always humble. In fact, many people think that a synonym to humility is poverty or nothingness. But of late, there are plenty poor people who are very proud and arrogant. <laughs> I've seen a poor and an arrogant person. That person is he's mobile. Mm, it's a Ghanaian word. <laughs> so let's continue. Verse 18, but you shall remember the Lord your God. Why must you remember him? Because it is he that gives you the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers this day. Now I've talked about the fact that you should remember God. And why should we remember to give God the credit? What at all did he do? Now, this is where many people don't get it. God does not give you wealth necessarily. But he gives you the power 
to get wealth. This is why many people don't know. That is why they fail to give God the credit when they get the wealth. Because they didn't remember waking up one morning to see 10 billion in their bank account. So they thought it was their hustle, their creativity, their etc, etc. That got them the world, forgetting that all the abilities to make the apps, to make the products you sell, the services you render, that is generating the money. They have forgotten that all these skills and talents and intellectual capability, it is God who gave it to you. So it is God who gives you the power, the ability to make the wealth. God doesn't necessarily give you the wealth. And this is one thing that many African Christians don't appreciate. Many of us are thinking that God will give you the wealth. No, he gives you that ability to produce wealth. He gives you that intellectual capability to produce wealth. He gives you that brain where you can render excellent services to produce wealth. He gives you that skill, that talent, that when you have polished, when you have added diligence to it, you can make wealth. So you will still have to wake up and put in the effort of diligence and faithfulness and wisdom and understanding. But all these things, it is God who gave you the ability. That is why the Europeans think that it was their hard work that got them what they are. The fact that they were able to make cars, they were able to make phones, they were able to render quality services, they were able to build huge edifices that gave them wealth. So therefore, they don't see the connection. But actually, it is God who gave them both abilities to make the wealth. And we on the other side are waiting for God to give us the wealth. Sweetheart, God is not going to give you wealth, but he's going to give you the ability, the power, the enablement to make wealth. And look at the last part. It says that, that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. It's interesting that the reason why God wants you to remember him is because he gave you the ability to make wealth. And why at all is he giving you the ability to make money? So that he would establish the covenant he made to your fathers. That's talking to the Israelites. And it's interesting that the thing to show that God has established a covenant with you is wealth. But the issue is that wealth or money should not be your boss because you are the one making it. You are the Lord of our money. But many of us do we forget that. So at a point, we stop serving God and we now serve money. But God is telling them that the reason why I'm going to give you the ability, the reason why I'm giving you the brains to make apps, the reason why I'm giving you the skills, the footballing skills, the musical skills, the art skills, the painting skills to make well, is so that I'm going to establish a covenant I spoke to you. That is why wealth is a requirement in this kingdom. Because it is a sign that God has established a covenant. The covenant he made to Abraham that your descendants will be great and mighty, that your seed will possess the gates of your enemies, that your seed will be a blessing to the nations. He said that when you now have the ability to make wealth and you are making your wealth, then the covenant he made to Papa Abraham, then that covenant will be established. And we know from Galatians that the seed is referring to Christ. And if any man be in Christ, the blessings of Abraham are yours. I came to remind you, in case you have forgotten, that that ability you have, that talent you have to sing, that talent you have to draw, that talent you have in school, that ability to run fast, that ability to look at things and come up with innovative ideas, that ability to render a particular service, is God's enablement, that ability to do anything that you are capable of doing, is God's ability in you. And when you add the necessary 
necessary diligence and etc you would make wealth and that wealth is God saying that the blessings I give to your father Abraham I have established it in your life the blessings of Abraham are ours in Christ Jesus that's the verse 18 and the verse 19 that's the end so and it shall be look at God is repeating them again though, that if you do at all forget the Lord your God and walk after all the gods and worship them I testify against you <laughs> Lesson of forgetfulness. So God is testifying against you that you shall surely perish. I don't need to explain this one. <laughs> verse twenty: As the nations which the Lord destroys before your face, you shall perish because you have not been obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. See, God keep reminding them that do not forget. Remember, do not forget. Remember, and this is very important. And now look at it. These same people, after God had delivered them from the hand of the Egyptians through walking in the Red Sea, and immediately they crossed the Red Sea, and Miriam and the women composed a song. Who is like unto thee, Allah? Who is like? I don't know if that was a tune, but we have given that one tune. They composed a wonderful song. These very people. When they were in the wilderness, and Moses kept long on the on the mountain top, these very people told Aaron that build for us an idol. And it's interesting; they said that after they were there and they watched Aaron melt their gold and the rest and build a calf before their eyes, they said that it is this calf, it is this image that brought them out of Egypt. <laughs> it is beyond imagination, but it happens. And that's the reality of our lives. Look at the way God has provided for you, has catered for you from primary school right to university, and now you are finished and you are looking for a job. And your only option is to sleep with somebody for money, to sleep with somebody for a job. What an insult to the face of God! God has provided for you, and now you are working in a company. Now your idea that you need to buy a car before the year ends, and the only way you have to buy a car is by cheating clients, is by stealing from your boss, is by adding certain zeros. What an insult to God! Many of us are doing these things. The same God who has been providing for you. Immediately you cross the Red Sea, you are full of praise. Oh God, your graduation day. This far by grace, we are dancing, shouting, and made it far by grace, making all the quotes in the world. Two, three years down the line, you go and work in national service. Maybe you are working in a passport office, and all you need is taking bribes. <laughs> like I'm being personal. <laughs> God puts you in a particular office to do a national service, and because you want to buy a particular phone after you end service, because you want to buy something, you are now stealing and cheating and being dishonest. <sighs> Mercy, you shall remember God. This is the last test in the school of the wilderness before you get your certificate. <laughs> Do not forget God. I would like to pause here, even as I invite my friends to give their commentary. Benji, kindly give your commentary. Thank you very much for this opportunity. I believe we've learned a lot today from our study, and then it looks like any time we spend time in the Word of God, the scope of our understanding always widens and. We always learn new things from the scriptures that we read daily. I just like to share something shortly to add up to what Sam has already shared. Now, I think majority of the scripture that we read from Deuteronomy chapter eight was mainly speaking about um, the provision of God, and especially from the verse 
thread down was how he fed them with manna. Never as well also talks about how their clothes never work sold and their food never sold. Yeah, so it's, it's very expedient that they get to understand that God was trying to teach these Israelites, should I say a lesson, or was trying to make them understand the God that they serve. Yeah, because if this God is able to feed you with manna in the wilderness for, for 40 years, and not just manna, there were times that they complained of wanting to eat with you. Yeah. The Lord made it available to them by sending quails to their camp. Yes. And their clothes also never worked stood over 40 years. And it's just mind-boggling to understand that scripture, how you can wear clothes for over 40 years. And then it's, yeah, it, it doesn't really make sense, but that's the possibilities of the God that we say. It's the same with us too, as Christians, yeah. We're always happy and then when things are going on well, but anytime you encounter little challenges, then we tend to forget the God that we say that this God has been with us, has provided for us all this while. Yeah, so I just want to entreat us and encourage us that, as the book of Hebrews said, that God is not unrighteous to forget. So anytime you try to forget the goodness of the Lord, that means you are trying to be unrighteous. Yeah. From the word, we know that our God is a God of possibilities. That's why Jesus Christ said that for with God, nothing shall be impossible. Yeah. So I just want us to put our bet on God, that there is nothing that God has promised us that He cannot do. Anything that He has said in His word, He can do. So. I'm entreating us to have faith in God. No matter the circumstances that we face, no matter the challenges, the time that we are going through the wilderness and uh, things are going to be very tough. We have to remember the God that we serve and we have to cast our mind back, look at the things that he has done. And from the light of scripture, know the things that he can do. And then we know that certainly we are going to come out of the wilderness here. Yeah. So I'm just encouraging us that we should stay with the word. We should keep on trusting God. As the psalmist said, as we pin me and dear for one night, but joy comes in the morning. So let's just have faith in God and let's keep on pressing and go through the wilderness successfully. And I know that when as we go through the wilderness, and as Job said, that after I have passed through the fire, I would come out as pure gold. That is what God is trying to, or that is the work that God is trying to work in us as his workmanship. God bless us all. Amen. Amen and amen. God bless you so much. Bene. Okay, so I have a question. Um, my question is, I think last week or the week before, um, you said that in the wilderness, God will continually teach us until we pass the test and, and you cited an example with the Israelites that at the end of the wilderness experience it was only two people including Caleb yeah who passed the test and so okay from my understanding it was like God will not take you out of the wilderness until you pass the test so if God wants you to learn a particular lesson he continually teach you 
Yeah, even if you feel you, he he will continually teach you until you pass the test before he takes you out of the wilderness. Yeah, but today we are learning that in the promised land, which means after passing the test, in the promised land, some people forget God. So I want to know whether it's because they didn't learn the lessons they were supposed to learn in the wilderness well. Or they forgot those lessons, or like they they passed, or they left the um, wilderness prematurely. Yeah, that's my question. Thank you. All right. Now, if I want to put your question in a context in which it's found, we know that for Caleb and Joshua, they were the only ones that left Egypt and that entered the Promised Land. So, if you are looking at it in the context of those who left Egypt and entered the Promised Land, they were just two. And these two did not forget their God. So it's not surprising that they were the only two people that qualified to enter the promised land. But you know that as they were in the, in the wilderness, life was still going on. People were still giving birth. People were also coming up. So the people that entered the promised land, apart from Caleb and Joshua, they did not come out from Egypt. So now the question is, if those who were born in the wilderness and that entered the promised land, why did they enter? They entered due to the fact that Caleb and Joshua were willing to take on the promised land for them and usher them into the promised land. And this is what I think I explained when talking about um, Hagar and Ishmael, that there are many blessings that we enjoy because of our association with people. So, for example, let's say talking about finances, there's a witness that has shown that many of the people that inherit wealth as the huge amount of wealth from their parents, the most they are able to do is to add 2% to the wealth. So let's say if your father gave you one Ghana CD, the most they are able to add is one Ghana CD, 20%. That's been the highest success rate. That's because what they were supposed to study or what they were supposed to learn in them being able not just to sustain, but to also make, begin to do it. That is why it was the parents' responsibility to train their children. But because of the circumstance they were born into, they are ushered into, in quote, a promised land. Therefore, they are not able to learn the lessons in the wilderness. So there are many things that some of us are enjoying. Some of us have never gone to anything like financial, if you say lack. Like, we have no idea of it because somebody has paid the price for them. And that has to do with your association with some people. So it's not because they have necessarily passed the wilderness test, but it's because of their association with some people. I know people who personally were born into wealthy families, and today they can't even afford to fully take care of their family. That's because their parents failed, if I should say, in teaching them the lessons they learned in the wilderness. That is why we are so blessed to have the word of God and the Holy Spirit to teach us these things. So if you read Romans chapter 15, verse number four, it says that for whatever things were written aforetime, were written for our learning, that we through the patience, the word patience, and the comfort of scriptures may have hope. So we know that the experience that the Israelites went through and even the document of scripture, God is giving to us as a pastor so that in solving the Pasco, we would easily pass the test. So right now, because I have a reference point, let's say about Abraham, how God is able to give Abraham a child, even in a dead situation, I have very little reason to complain and to mama 
when I'm waiting on God for a promise. So we can either learn by going through the thing, but because we have the privilege of the scripture and the Holy Spirit, our period in the wilderness should be very shorter. And you see, but many a times we feel that is why it's very necessary that we go to the wilderness ourselves. Because many people who are born into affluent homes hardly ever do better than their parents. The most they do is to add 2%. There's just something that the wilderness teaches you that it's like you can't learn it anywhere else. But a wise child is able to learn from the words of their parents. So experience should not be your best teacher, but wisdom should be your best teacher. Okay, Benji, kindly give us your add-up to the question. Okay. Yeah, I think you I got Benny's question right. Um, I think what she was trying to ask is that Oh, uh, let me say. I think you answered this question some weeks ago, uh, or you said that the wilderness experiences is not like a one-time something. It's something that we experience daily. Yeah, so it's not like the context of the Israelites as uh, we know it, as they went through the wilderness of 40 years and after that they entered the Promised Land. But in our work as Christians, our work through the wilderness is a daily something. As in every day we are learning what God wants us to learn. I don't know if you are getting me. It's not a one day something. Every day we are going through um, the wilderness experience. So it's not a one day something. It's something that we are learning every day because um, even Jesus Christ said, sufficient for the days, the evil thereof. Yeah. So it's an everyday experience that you are going to get. And until you pass the test, it's something that you, um, God will continually make you go through to you actually get it. Yeah. So it's not um, a one-day, a one-time event. I'm going to pass through it, I think, maybe to um, we check out of this world. Yeah, thank you. All right, we will invite Abna to give us a commentary. So God is bringing us to a good land. And the wilderness is not the promised land. We must always remember that the wilderness is not the promised land. It is not permanent. The wilderness is not permanent. So we shouldn't get comfortable there because it sounds so wrong, but then some people get so comfortable in their wilderness to the point that they stop trusting God and they stop using the word of God as a yardstick for their life. They stop thinking, what's the word of God doing for them? They stop all that. And they totally give up of coming out of the wilderness and they use their own ways and means to get out of the wilderness in quotes. But the funny thing is that without God, you can't get out of the wilderness. Like you can't come out of it. You can't get into that sweet, prosperous, promised land God has for us. So let's take note that even when the times are hard, when times get so difficult, trusting God is always key. Thank you. Amen and amen. God bless you so much. So God bless us for being around for all these weeks. And this is the final episode for Why the Wilderness. God willing, next week, we'll be beginning a very interesting series, even as we are entering the Christmas season. So we want to pray. The last lesson or the last subject in the final year of the University of the Wilderness is never to forget God because God is guiding you into a promised land. We want to pray that God, you will never forget. 
may we never forget that it is you who gave us the ability to make wealth. May we never forget that it was you who guided our steps in the wilderness. Father, may we never forget that you gave us garments that did not wax old, neither did our foot swell. Father, may we never forget that it was you that brought us into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains, and depths of springs of valleys and hills. Father, may we never forget that you brought us into a land of wheat and barley, a land of vines and fig trees, and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey. May we never forget that it is you who is bringing us into a land where we will lack nothing good, whose stones are iron, and whose hill you will dig brass. Father, may we never forget, after we have eaten and we are full, may we never forget your generosity. May we never forget your leadings and your pruning as when we enter into the promised land. Father, may we never forget when people call us blessed. May we never forget when people come from afar, like Queen Sheba, comes to listen to our wisdom. May we never forget when we are at the top of our career. May we never forget when we have, in quotes, the ideal family. May we never forget you. May we never forget. May we not be like the Israelites. And after you deliver us from the Red Sea, we would ascribe glory to a calf made out of earrings and jewelries. Father, may we never forget that you are our God, that through all the changing scenes of life, your praise will continually be in our lips. Father, we pray for a heart of yours, a heart of gold, a heart that is always receptive to your dealings, a heart that is always receptive to your voice. Father, when we have eaten and we are full, may we never forget. Father, we send for this prayer 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. If peradventure we eat and become full and we are tempted to forget, Father, bring us back. In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen and amen. God is bringing you into a good land. God is taking you into your promised land. You are going to eat and you'll be full. God is bringing you a land where it is flowing of oil and honey. God is bringing you into a land where of wheat and barley. God is bringing into a land of abundance. God is the one bringing you. God is holding your steps, acknowledging, and you'll be amazed that you will look back and your mouth will be filled with laughter when you realize that God has taken you from the wilderness to the promised land. See you next week, even as we study something new and exciting. Remember to give God your best and make sure you owe no man nothing but love. Bye-bye. Bye.